Welcome back to another episode of Teen It Up with C and B. I'm your host, Mr. C. It's episode seven. I'm here with my good friend, uh, the other side of that C and B, Mr. V. Vladdy. What's going on, man? Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you as well. Um, you know, I had a really slow day at work. Um, spent the majority of it uh, preparing for this episode. Spent the other part uh, starting to I'm trying to start an Excel spreadsheet to budget my uh, money now that I'm a working man, trying to make sure I don't wow. go overboard with the money. And was talking to friends, just getting their inputs, what they're planning on doing. It's kind of scary that we're at this level of like life and this age. Right. These are the conversations we're having, but. You know, it is what it is. Um, how about so you? I'm, I'm the world's worst spender. So I've tried super hard to get on this budget. And then it, we basically got to May, like when, when the kids get let out of school. And uh, I don't have any kids, by the way. But um, <laughs> anyways, uh, when they get out of school and I just basically told myself, well, who cares what you do this summer? Cause you're going back to school and then you're going to have to get on a really strict one. So just go for it yeah. this summer. So I've kind of done that knowing that come like August 1st, I'm going to have to get on a pretty strict, strict, maybe a strict diet, but also a strict budget diet. So I and, definitely and, and listen, enjoy your freedom. When you get back to school when you're doing it, when you're doing them, uh, when you're doing law school, there is no, uh, no more messing around. It's, it's go time. So enjoy. All right. Uh, yeah. So let's get into it. We are kind of wrapping up. We're going to get into the summer of, uh, or the dead period of sports here, probably after this week, the way the NHL is going. Um, aside from another golf major, they're really, I mean, there's mid season baseball. We'll talk about the all-star game when that comes in a couple of weeks, but uh, we're going to enjoy it while it lasts. Cause we're going to start with the NHL. Um, actually let's start with the NBA. Uh, this time because that ended up uh, that has since wrapped up since we last spoke the Golden State Warriors in six games are crowned the champion it is their fourth championship in I believe eight seasons and that's not right yeah four it's four and eight but in reality it's four and six because you had the 2020 season when all three of their kind of big three was hurt and then 2021 you, you had Curry missing significant time Draymond Green missing significant time and Clay Thompson, once again, did not play. So it's four and eight chronologically. In reality, it's probably four and six. I think with that finals, you had Steph solidifies place top 10 all time, at least my opinion. Yeah. Um, and it was just nice to see both teams being organic, to be honest. There was no, no, no free agency, none of the LeBrano. We created a super team. Every piece on that team was drafted, and with the exception of Wiggins. But that's something that, that I'll yeah. get into that later, but. It's just nice seeing organic teams as opposed to guys telling their agents to work their magic and doing stuff a different way. Yeah, I think uh, I think the one note I had before you could kind of go a little deeper into it is as a Celtics fan or Celtics franchise, um, do you think I'm asking you personally, do you think this is you think they can get over the hump with the score? Do you think think Jason Tatum to me? solidifies himself for the moment as a not dog he's not a dog yeah no yeah that's that's fair there was uh i will get into more of this later but just to answer they're a young team jason tatum is what i think 24 jalen brown's 25 lebron didn't win a first title till he's 27 i think curry was 28 when he won his first one 
takes time. It's not easy, especially when you get into the later stages of the playoffs and you're that inexperienced team. You don't know how to handle a bad call. You don't know how to handle a, a raucous crowd. You don't know how to handle a run. It's one of those things that you're going to learn. Very rarely, if I can even think of something off the top of my head, is the team just waltz in and say, hi, here we are with no experience, but we're going to beat you. No, mm -hmm. you got to lose to learn how to win. So I guess if, if I'm going to go into a quick recap of the games, um, game five uh, was was interesting because you had Steph Curry play one of the worst games I've ever seen. He broke his mm. 233 straight game record with a three. So for the first time in 2018, Steph Curry didn't hit a three-pointer in a game, but you had so much help from the supporting cast. Wiggins with a legacy game. Draymond woke up. Clay got to 20. Jordan Poole off the bench was hitting threes. So that was that was great. And then game six was interesting. Um, it started out so well for Boston, 14-2. I was thinking to myself, yeah. oh, well, here we go. Game seven. And then the first half ended on a 52-24 Golden State run. They took that opening punch very well, and then they just turned around and blitzed Boston. That's one of those things, like I said, can you take a punch? Do you know how to? Then can you turn around and give it back? I mean, Steph with a great bounce back game. Draymond might have been the best player on the court in game six. The, the defense, the facilitating, he scored, he got to 12 points, you know, getting to double digits right. is a very big deal. Gary Payton. No more triple single. Yeah, no, Gary Payton was great off the bench. And then Jason Tatum with an absolute stinker. And I just wanted to mm -hmm. say, um, I, uh, so those were games five and six. A couple interesting fun facts I had. Draymond Green held Boston's big three to 25% shooting from two and 14% shooting from three when he was on them. So he absolutely clamped him. And then also I saw this, which was really interesting. The Golden State Warriors have never lost a series when Steph, Clay, and Draymond start every game. They've never lost. Wow. So it's interesting. And then I, just, I, I guess I'll kind of go with each team, a quick deep dive. And like I said, Jason Tatum was a ghost, all-time bad performance for someone who wants to be like considered a top 10 player in the league That's currently. Right, Maybe he should stop texting Kobe Bryant four games and actually just focus and beat Kobe Bryant. And then I, again, they're, like I said, they're a young team. They will be back. It's going to be, I think them in uh, Milwaukee is going to be kind of the quote unquote running the East for the foreseeable future. Um, just as one of those teaching moments um, on Golden State side, I, I do want to go a little bit more into it because Golden State, I think from top to bottom is the epitome of how you run a professional sports franchise. You've got a team of players who know their role and they perfectly play it. In my opinion, with this team, there was absolutely zero egos between players. Now, if you want to talk about them talking off the court, that's fine. I'm not going to disagree, but they went on the court, so they back it up. You've got an right. amazing GM, Bob Myers, who drafts so well, and then he also takes advantage of other GMs. He traded D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, and a second-round pick this year, which oh, most people say, oh, it's a second-round pick in the NBA draft. Who cares? Bob Myers does. He found, I think he found Draymond Green and Jordan Poole in the second round. So watch out with that. You've got Joe Lacob, who's an owner who actually cares. So I was looking at this. The Golden State Warriors had a $170 million tax or luxury tax to pay this year. So between luxury tax and actual payroll, they spent $350 million to keep their team together to be competing for a win. And that comes mm -hmm. from ownership who cares about winning, who is competent, who doesn't do stuff that Detroit sports franchises do. And I really wish that someone would buy out every team in the city because it's a joke, but 
that's <laughs> that that's that's for another. And then the last thing for Golden State, they're only going to get better. You're you're bringing back James Wiseman, who just as a body, forget about James Wiseman, the player. James Wiseman as a body fills the only hole the Warriors had, and that's a rim protecting big who can grab some rebounds. I didn't notice, but Kevon Looney's only six nine. James Wiseman seven feet tall. Yeah, he walks into that team, and suddenly they've they've got a little bit more presence. You know, Kaminga. They also Rudy, don't even have like any other big guys besides yeah, no, the, nobody. Uh, yeah, you got Kaminga Moody entering year two. They will be better. So just the Warriors won a title this year. They will be better next year. So it's up to the league to catch up. But I mean, that's really all I had for basketball. I mean, maybe maybe in a future episode we can do kind of a deeper dive within each team's individual season. But for now, that's kind of what I had on my finals takeaways and for the two teams going forward. Congrats to the Warriors. The Dubs got another dub. Um, so moving on, since we last talked, I believe the Stanley Cup Finals is about to start. Uh, they've played two games so far. It's been all Colorado. Um, in fact, the game three tonight is is a do or die. Uh, they have no Tampa has no chance if they lose tonight. I, I I mean I don't know what the statistics are when you go down three zero, but the way that the way this Colorado team is playing, they I've said it on multiple other podcasts. They are one of the best teams of the 21st century. They're right up there with those Penguins teams that went back to back 16-17. They're right up there with the I mean, any of these lightning teams from past years, they're right up there with the Blackhawks in the early 2010s. They're right up there with the Kings in the early 2010s. They're right up there with the Red Wings in the late and early OOs. They're, they're one of the better teams we've seen in the last 20 years. They're so complete. They have two of the top four players in the league, in my opinion. Uh, Cal McCarr has been excellent. And we're, uh, I will get into game one, great game. Colorado came out flying Tampa Bay got to play their style of hockey that they want to play. They got back in at 3-3. I ended up losing that game on a Burakovsky goal in overtime, uh, like a minute into the game. Like fans probably hadn't even gotten their overtime beers yet, and the game was over. Um, and then game two, I didn't get to watch too much of it because I was out. Um, with the highlights I saw, I mean, I don't think you needed to watch it. It was 7 to nothing. That doesn't happen in the NHL. That's an NBA score. NBA plays all these routes. MLB has a lot of routes in the postseason. The NFL, not so much. They play a lot of great games, great league. Um, but the NHL does not have duds like that. That was one of the worst performances I've ever seen a playoff team have. I don't know how. I think the series is over anyways. I say it's a must win tonight. I think it's over. I don't think you come back from losing a 7-0 game. I don't care. You're the best goaltender in the world, and he's letting in 11 goals in two games. You cannot have that happen. Do you think it's mental at this point? Do you think something where, at least on Tampa's side, do you think they maybe they realize, like, oh, we cannot skate with these guys, we can't compete, and they, they'll fall off? Or do you think that kind of that past championship pedigree, like I said with basketball, will help out? So I think it will help out. I don't think they're just going to go away. I think they're. I think tonight will be close. Okay. I, I think the series in general is over, but I, I if there's a team that's going to not whimper away, it's Tampa. They know they've been here before. They were down 2-0 last series, if you didn't want to go that way. It's different this time. They didn't lose the game 7 to nothing, and Cal McCarr made them look like absolute orange cones that I see, you see on every highway in Michigan. Yep, State. yep. Uh, that's our state bird. Yeah, right. That's our state animal, I would say, since it's on the ground. Yeah, um, whatever. So, I mean, like I said, I do think Tampa responds. 
I, I, Colorado's too fast. They're too good. Um, this is something I don't want to say it's, it's miles on the clock for Tampa as far as they've just logged so many minutes and miles these last two and a half, three years. But I do think it's playing a factor. Okay. Uh, when you get, when you have a team that's this fast and wants to play this pace, um, it's something that they haven't seen in their three years. And to get them, you know, their last series, what would this be? You play four series a year. So this is series 12 um, in such a short, shortened amount of time because they've gone short off seasons yep. um, because of the COVID. Uh, I just don't think they're they're going to be able to keep up with it. I think I think Tampa wins tonight, and then I think this game is over in five games when we get a series that we uh, I didn't expect would be this lopsided. Um, but I'm very very uh, not very uh, not very optimistic that Tampa mm-hmm. this series. Okay, we'll see what they do tonight. Uh, they're at home. They're a different team at home. I believe they're eleven and two in the playoffs so far this year at home, or nine and two in the playoffs. Like eleven and two sounds like way too many games, um, but they're very good at home as, as a team like that's in their third straight finals should be. Uh, so we'll see what happens tonight. Game three. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, I guess, I guess one last question. We, we did talk about the experience. If you, th- if you think this was any other team, if it wasn't Tampa Bay, do you think it would be like on the course for a four Oh sweep? Yeah, I do. I, I think Tampa, like I said, their pedigree and experience and the fact that John Cooper is the king of making adjustments, their head mm-hmm. coach, uh, I, I don't see them completely whimpering away. Like I said, I think they get one, maybe even two out of the series still. Uh, I also think they're going to come out with a completely something completely different uh, than what they did after losing seven to yeah. nothing. But I don't think yeah. any team overall, any team overall, even this Tampa Bay Lightning team is going to come back and win a series after losing seven to nothing. That, that's like – in the playoffs, that's like a soccer team losing five, six, seven. Nine. Yeah, then, no, it, it's tough. Um, yeah. uh, moving on, you want to get into some – so the NBA draft is going to go on Thursday. Um, our hometown Detroit Pistons t- pick five. Uh, we've kind of gone into it in the past, especially with the Pistons and the top picks. Uh, we're going to quickly go over that again, maybe have some new thoughts. since uh, It's been about a month since we talked to it. Uh, we'll get into some Michigan and Michigan State guys like names you might hear too. So um, you want to start us off here with yeah. I think I started last time, so sure. you can start here with the top. So to me, it still kind of looks like that big three plus one where you've got Jabari, Chetton, uh, Paolo, Banquero. Though you're kind of like your three big guys. It seems as though Jabari is trending towards going number one, and yeah. from and from what I've read, it also seems like Chet is trending for number two, which I okay. think if if the Houston Rockets can land Paolo Bancaro at number three pick, you've got to be extremely happy with that. But I also think after that, from pick four is where it gets very fun. Everyone loves to say that Jaden Ivey is the consensus number four, and he probably is. He's probably – he's the best point guard in the class. He's the best – he's the fourth best prospect. However, the Sacramento Kings have De'Aaron Fox and Davian Mitchell. They haven't contacted Jaden Ivey. They haven't worked out Jaden Ivey. He's – Almost said, I don't necessarily prefer playing in Sacramento, but I am a professional, so I will do it if I'm picked. So I just think that this is opening up the door for a trade. Um, I don't know. or From from the teams that I've read that are interested, obviously the Pistons. You've got the Pacers as well, who they they do have a little bit of historic ties to Jaden Ivey. I want to say his mom played basketball in Detroit and then obviously grew up in Indiana. So you've got, you've got ties there. I've also read that the Knicks and the Wizards might be interested, but 
they're so far back in the draft order that trading up would be a massive, massive um, price. price. And that's just something that's where yeah. – what? Oh, I just said oh. that'd be a price. Yeah, no. So I, I think they're not necessarily feasible. I think it's kind of down to uh, Detroit or Indiana. It depends on who can offer. I, I think Sacramento is kind of focused or they're like hell-bent on, oh, we, we can win now. We got to push for the playoffs. So they want they, – they do want kind of uh, vets plus like let's say the, whatever pick they'd be getting. And I guess this is where I was going to ask ask you a question. It's like, Let's say the Pistons were trading up for Jaden Ivey because you, you don't want someone else to jump you, obviously, much less a, a close division rival like the Pacers. Um, what would be, I guess, what would be your price uh, if, if you've looked at this, if you thought about it, like what would be a price where if, if you offered it and they said, yes, you'd be comfortable, and at what point do you draw the line and says, you know what, I'm just going to take what falls at five? That's a good question because I don't like I don't think a second round. We talked about Draymond and Jordan Poole, um, but I don't think like a. I don't think I think it's a pretty well known fact the second round pick is not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. So now you're looking at guys down the roster, and do you really have anything on that roster besides Grant and Cade Cunningham that would be worth trading? You have Sadiq Bay, but. You, you have Sadiq Bay, but I don't think you're moving him. He's that young piece right. with He's young. Cunningham that fits that fits your timeline. So I think your options are you're either giving away Jeremy Grant and the number five pick to go up to number four, or you're trading future first. And I guess just to compare, I think four years ago, Trey Young and Luka Doncic, they traded, they swapped picks three and five. Dallas had to give up number three and a future first round pick to go up to number three. So you're just looking at a future first round pick. That's probably what your price range is. And to me, it's, it's questionable. I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable giving up Jeremy Grant. I say, I, I don't think he's worth a top five pick either. Uh, or I, or sorry. I, I, I don't, I don't think I would make that move either. Uh, if you, I think you could get more. I think you could get actual, see the NBA with the draft with like, basically if you're not a top three pick, you're not, are for sure bet to even be something in this league, right? So I think when you really take that, Jeremy Grant is an established player. I think he's a, on a good team. He's a good number two. I really do. Um, so I think you can get actual bodies for him is the thing. An actual yeah. NBA talent for him at some point, maybe at the trade deadline this year, um, or you can get picks and that. Just going him for a pick, I don't think – is worth it well not just that like this i'm not saying you trade jeremy grant just for number four you're giving up number five too in this deal so exactly that and that those things like there there are obviously trade rumors that like you said he's a he's a solid number two he might i i I view him a little bit more like a very high-end number three as opposed to a number two guy but he's that piece that you needed on on a winning team like you're never going to carry something almost kind of look at him like an Andrew Wiggins right now, when you've got an alpha and you've got a secondary yeah. guy, you come in as a third option and it's hard for someone to stop you. You've got, I think there's rumors Portland wants to trade. The Hawks are looking to make trades. The Miami Heat are looking to make trades. So I'm also in that same boat where if you told me that Jeremy Grant is what it would take to go get Jaden Ivey, I would probably say no. I would say, you know what? I, I, at that point, I would hope that maybe the price is too much for Indiana too. Cause then, What's Sacramento going to do? They they've already they've already basically shown they don't want Jaden Ivy. So you're not going to go yeah. pick him just to spite Detroit. You're going to take who you need, who fits, or who you like, and then we can right. we can pick up Jaden Ivy at five. But 
for the sake of uh, just kind of talking it out, I, I let I'm going to assume that Jaden Ivy does go at four, whether it be to Sacramento or to a team trading up above us. And I just kind of once again rework the guys at number five that I would like. Um, I mean, last time we talked about Keegan Murray, we talked about Johnny Davis. I've kind of we talked about Shaden Sharp. I've kind of cooled off on Keegan Murray in the sense that he's going to be 22 before the season starts. And in the NBA, that's that's grandpa years. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got guys who play four years in the league and aren't 22 yet. And he, he, so I just think that's one of those where Keegan Murray might be a little bit more towards the ceiling at this point. And while that means he's more ready to contribute off the start because he's a bit, bit, bit older, more experienced, I think when you have a team like the Pistons right now, you're not looking for experience. You're not looking for that one piece to put you over the top. You still need that second piece with Cade to get mm-hmm. you – near the top so I would I, I would probably look at um I, I still think Shaden Sharp is a possibility he's a huge unknown hasn't mm-hmm. played basketball in a year but the the potential is there is that shot maker is that offensive uh threat and then the the guy from uh Arizona Mathurin the, the French the French but I, I don't really know how to say his name but he I was I was looking at some of his stats and albeit you can't just look at stats because basketball is more than that but he looks like a great piece. That's something where if they took him, I couldn't really yell at the TV. So I guess yeah. that's kind of that's kind of what I had on the top end of the the draft for the Pistons. Is there something you want to add before we look at our local guys? No, I I think I reiterated or said the last time that we talked about it. I wasn't high on Keegan Murray in general. I think you go with the best athlete. Um, a lot when in doubt, you go with the best athlete in the NBA. You look at guys that succeeded; they're the freakishly good athletes, um, and that it would be sharp. Um, that's the Arizona kid as opposed to Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis, I think. So if you're looking at it, so that's all I want to say. Uh, so quickly to reiterate, we are going to go into some guys. We have two names from each team, each of our local squads, uh, the go green, go white boys and the Michigan fraudulent Wolverines. Uh, we'll start off with the bad guys. Um, so I, like I don't have that. quite as much. Okay. Um, so Musa Diabate. Uh, is one of two names. He was a freshman this past year for the University of Michigan. He's a big 6'11 forward. Uh, I just kind of wrote super raw. However, he is that freakishly good athlete that could succeed mm-hmm. in, if he owns in some skills here. Um, I think someone is going to take a chance on him early to mid-second round. Yeah, um, I guess to add on that, like I, I was looking at projections. I saw, like, I think he was the guy who was like the, the biggest range. I saw anywhere from late first to late second round. And like you said, he's got great size. He fits that NBA mold and he's got a decent mid-range game. The only issue is the mid-range game is not sought after for big men anymore. If you can't shoot behind the arc, you're, you're an energy guy at best. You're Kavon Looney running around playing defense. So if he wants to ever be more than that, he's got to develop a jump shot, which when you shoot 20% from deep for your college career, I don't ever think there is a jump shot to develop, but I, I mean, I guess I wish the kid the best, but I think he, I, I think he's just going to be at best one of those energy guys in the league where you can come in off the bench, give your team a couple minutes of jumping around long and twitchy. And I guess I genuinely think he could be the best of the four names we're going to talk about. Interesting. He could be by far. Okay. He could be by far the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so move on so the other Caleb name Houston. is so you talk about versatile, yeah. Caleb Houston. I googled so trying to do some research. I googled draft stock, and you, just in big bold words at the top, it said mixed draft stock anywhere <laughs> can go anywhere. Yep. Uh, Caleb Houston had a worse, another freshman, 
had a worse year than Max Christie, who we'll get into next. Uh, someone that was could have been a top 10 pick going into yep. the year. He was top 10 recruit in his grade, big five-star athlete. Uh, Diabate was a solid college player in one year and would have been a great player if he ended up playing more years at Michigan. Houston was an average at best college player this past year. Um, he really had no even flashes. It's all just speculation of him being highly recruited from high school. And I think someone from in the 30 to 50 range pick wise is going to uh, read too much into that and take him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of saw similar, uh, similar draftings. However, I did see something interesting. I'll get into it in a second, but I, I think uh, Caleb Houston uh, I think because of his just his size, he he has and, and like his skill set, he is a shooter. I think that gives him hope yeah. because the NBA is now littered with dudes who are six seven, six eight, six nine, who jump out of their shoes, who play defense, have energy, and can knock down a three. It's just like it's that three and D wing type archetype that everyone needs, everyone yeah. wants, everyone's seeking. And the, what I did, what I did want to say is he shut down at the combine. Um, he he stopped, which. The rumors are that probably means that a late first round team made him a promise saying you're going to be our pick. So you no longer need to keep working because we will take you. So I think there's a chance that he kind of sneaks into the, even the late twenties into 30. And then if not, obviously we'll see what happens into the second, but I think with him shutting down at the combine, you don't do that unless you're told you're going to be getting picked because it makes no sense for you to limit your options for people to see you and the big stage. So I, th- I think Caleb Houston will be a fir- late first-round pick. Okay. Uh, so getting into the Spartan dogs, some real dogs. Yeah. Um, start with Max Christie. Let's do uh, it. Off what was a very volatile freshman year and where early on he looked like he uh, was the five-star recruit as advertised and for most of the second half of the year disappeared uh, and forgot how to shoot. He's, you know, he does have great physical tools. Um the shoot, I think the biggest question mark is why the shooting just didn't translate at the college game. Um, Cause like you said, he's going to have to fit a similar mold to Caleb Houston. Um, and he's advertised as a shooter, but we didn't necessarily see that for most of this yep. freshman year. Um, I think he, this is just my opinion. I could go on for days about this. You had Jaden Ivy, Egan Murray and Johnny Davis all in your conference we're all first or second round picks after their freshman year came back. They're all going to be top 10 picks after just one year. You didn't have to go to all four years of college. You didn't have to sit through another IAH or an ISS class. You got to freaking be a top 10 pick after one year. Yeah. Uh, and I think that could have been Max Christie. Unfortunately, that is not going to be the case. I've heard anywhere from 20 to 50 for him. Yeah. So again, the similar range to Caleb Houston. Yeah, the the news of uh, I guess I guess checking my phone and the news of Christie staying in the draft was a big disappointment. Like you said, he could have been that guy who made that jump from year one to year two, who could have had that consistent shot that you could now turn around to the scouts and say, "Look what I can do consistently." Who could have taken that that extra off season to put 10, 15 pounds of muscle back right. onto his body? Like, right. I, I what I wrote down is. He needs to get stronger and be more consistent. Like you said, he was, he was hot and cold, very erratic, but he can shoot. Well, he's got a DC. He also has a decent like ISO game. I think if I remember like yes. he, he can create his own shot, which is big because a three and D is great, but that's only for catching the ball. You got, sometimes you gotta be able to go make some offense for yourself. 
I think with that, like if he consistently shoots and then if he becomes a serviceable defender, I think he can actually have a pretty decent NBA career. I just think he's one of those guys that you're going to pick and he's not going to play right away. You might see him in, a, in the G yeah. League for a year, or maybe he's that guy, eighth or ninth man on the bench for, for, for a short majority of time before he makes steps, if he makes steps. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, that, it's like the other two guys, Project. Like, that, so, we'll see. That, that leaves uh, us Gabe Brown. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, boy. The fact that we're even talking about Gabe Brown for the draft is kind of comical to me. No. Um, I actually don't think he's going to get drafted. Um, I could, I, in fact, I'm going to predict. He's definitely going to get signed somewhere if he does not get drafted. I do actually am high on Gabe Brown in that huge three on three and D yep. role. He's accepted it. He's a good, he was a good college defender. He's a great shooter. Um, he can't create anything for himself. He can't really dribble the ball very nope. much at all. He's not a crazy good athlete despite his size. Well, I thought he um, was. I thought shoot. he was a pretty decent athlete. There, there were a couple of lobs that we used to throw to Gabe Brown over the years. Okay. No, I mean, just, again, he, he drove me nuts at Michigan State because he was supposed to be, especially the last two years, he was supposed to be that veteran presence after Cassius is gone. He's supposed to be that guy who's been there, who's done that. And he was – completely on and off you'd have one game where he's eight for eight for a million points and then he'll go two more games without like making a jump shot but like you said yeah the fact that his frame i think it's like six seven six eight uh decent athlete can, can catch and shoot i think that gives him a chance but like you said i think he's a projected late second round pick if at all if at all yeah so, i think yeah, a, i think he's a late late signed guy yeah. and I think he'll be given a chance in like a G League role. And we'll see yeah. from there. No, overall though, um, there's not really much worth writing home about. This was a very weak year for basketball in the state of Michigan. You you didn't have that Jaron Jackson prospect. Hell, you didn't even have Franz Wagner prospect. You had four guys who you utilize size to be to be like they utilize size and potential more so than I'm actually a player. So it was just that was kind yeah. of a disappointing year for the state of Michigan's college basketball. All right, so just a quick talk before we get into our list segment today. Uh, we mentioned it. One of the four weeks we pay attention to golf happened. It was actually a great down-to-the-wire finish. Matthew Fitzpatrick, for the second year in a row, a non-American wins the tournament. Um, and what <laughs> Fitzpatrick's little stat that they said all weekend became like the, the Stafford-Kershaw went to high school statistic in that did you know that he won the USAM at the country club in 2013 and he stayed in the same bedroom as, yep. as 2013 because that was mentioned every 30 seconds. That was mentioned yep. Thursday, Friday. You made the cut. It was mentioned Saturday. It was in the hunt Sunday. It was mentioned Sunday. It, it just kind of became, it's now like the Stafford Kershaw. Yep. Meme joke. It was a drag. Um, no, like you said though, there was great golf from the three dudes competing. Um, what Scheffler, uh, my, my pick that, I was close. I had Zalatoris last week. Yeah. He was close. The ball striking was there, but at the end, he just couldn't make a putt to force a playoff. But no, great. Um, that bunker shot that uh, Fitzpatrick hit yeah. on 18 was incredible because you have to realize John Rahm was in the exact same spot on Saturday and same bunker, and he made six. So for Fitzpatrick mm -hmm. to give himself that par, 
I mean, he 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 said he basically hard. saved himself. So that was a yeah. uh, great shot. But yeah, other than that, not really much to talk about. It's, it's, it's golf. We we pay attention when there's a major. Maybe if there's a Ryder Cup, we'll tune in. But you can't get too excited over golf. Do you think he's the first major winner to have braces? Uh, he might be. <laughs> I don't know who else is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, sure. Why not? <laughs> Do we want to do, before we get into the list, do we want to do our quick clown of the week segment? Yeah, I'll get into it. I have a pretty weak one. It just really irked me. I write about the team in my free time. The Tampa Bay Lightning losing seven. Yeah. That game's a clowning, so they're my clown of the week. That's fair. You can't call that in the biggest stage and not make the clown of the week. They're my clowns of the week. My clown of the week, my clown of the week was Jason Tatum. So I don't know if you saw this, but. He had his kid courtside pregame. He was going through his pregame routine with his child. And to me, like, I've never seen that before. Like, after the game, if you want to bring mom, dad, your spouse, your significant other, your children, that's fine. You, you just won the biggest thing in your life. Go for it. Pregame, you got to be locked in. You got to be dialed in. You got In an elimination game, mind you, you got to be – you have to be mentally – there and I think when you have your kid with you and you're playing patty cake with him it's kind of hard to then turn around and say oh here's Andrew Wiggins guarding me shit I have to put it together so that's that, that's the one thing I, I think Jason Tatum's got a I, I, I can't have you can't have your family courtside pregame so is he like like talking to them or are they just like are they just oh he there? was going through an entire he was going through his pregame routine with his kid next to him he was sitting there like holding his hands I, I, I don't think that's acceptable. And that's not a good look. That's not a good look. And, and it doesn't mean you don't like your kids. I assume everyone who's ever done, who's <laughs> ever won anything. You ever seen Todd Brady's kids at a pregame? No. Never seen Steph Curry's kids at a pregame. The postgame pressers after they win the big game, yeah. You got to celebrate with your loved ones. But before that, you have to be ready. So I, I went with – Isn't went it with, crazy? Isn't it crazy? I saw something on the, the Riley Curry going to Steph yep. Curry. How old she is now compared Dude, to those seven years. years. Seven years have gone first by went through that. 15. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, that's crazy. But all right, let's you want you want to introduce the list of the week? Yeah, so list of the week, the top five college football programs in the college football playoff era. They're kind of our uh us being in our early 20s, they're kind of our prime time uh football. I actually don't think there's gonna be a ton of controversy. I don't I think, think there's I don't think there's gonna be any. I think, I think there's a, an objective one, two, and three. I think you could there's there's I think there's a pretty objective four, and I think there's like two teams you could argue for that fifth spot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do Do we want to start from five down to one? Let's go one to five. I think okay, that's be- true. Yeah. Less 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 narration at the top. Number one, Alabama. Alabama. Yep. What else are you gonna say? <laughs> Three national championships. They've made it seven of the eight years. They've played in the championship six of the eight years, and they've won the SEC championship in six of the eight years. No other team has anything close to that. Yeah, so number two, Clemson. Clemson, yep. Six Uh, of the eight college football playoffs, two national championships, and has played in the championship four times. The one thing I do want to say, though, is – I'm kind of curious to see if Dabo Sweeney is actually a good coach when he doesn't have generational quarterback on his team. Be interesting to see. Like, you did have uh, DJ Uyagalele, and he wasn't doing very good, and Clemson's offense was not there. Defense was still amazing, but the offense couldn't do anything. 
Um, it will be interesting to see how they respond this year. After absolutely. Year. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't, it's, it's, it's like, it's not, I think the recruiting class is, is not like, it's a top 10 recruiting class, but it is not the top three to five that we're used to seeing. So it'll be interesting. I do want to say one more thing, but I think, well, one of the things uh, that Dabo originally kind of like preached on was like quote unquote family, where I think I saw some stat. I think from like 2009 to 2020, he didn't replace a single assistant coach. The staff was together. And I want to say he had, I think it was, it was a Brett Venables. I think Venables left for maybe Oklahoma. I, I'm, I'm not spitballing, yeah. but I want to say yeah. he, I want to say he has now replaced his offensive and defensive coordinators. So I think maybe there's some, I don't want to say turmoil, but there's some turnaround there that he's got to, he's got to work through considering right. for so long he didn't have to deal with it, but. Number yeah, three. you got to deal with the adversity. Those coaches don't deal with a whole lot of like Nick's. As much as you want to talk about it, like Nick Saban deals with so little adversity when you can just bring in nine hundred five stars every year. Say, yeah, okay, well. one of them down. How hard is it to coach the next one? Anyways, yeah. that's just my rant. Number three, um, pretty self-explanatory. Ohio State. Yep. Okay. Four um, has has played in every other college football playoff, one national championship, uh, two title appearances. Yeah, uh, I went with Georgia as well. Um, oh, for three? No, I for three, I had Ohio State. For four, I had Georgia. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, four, so I for four, I also have Georgia. Yeah. Oh, that my bad. I, I thought you were I thought you were going, but no, for me, um, my three, four, and five all have one title. But for me, it's the consistency of Ohio State can always being in the picture. They've always got 11 wins. They've always got 12 wins after a bowl game. Most of the yeah. time, they got 13 wins with the Big Ten Big Ten championship. They put an absolute stranglehold so, on the conference. Right. So I think that more the the difference Ohio State to Georgia is they both played in two championships. They both won one. Ohio State's been been there four times to Georgia's two times. Now mm-hmm. that's early because they have to play in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that does matter. I actually, you say you mentioned your five has a national. My five does not have a national. Interesting. Um, but they're a team that's been there in stay. You could, another team you could say it's because of the conference. Oklahoma My is Oklahoma. Yeah, I have uh, them as an honorable mention. There's LSU. Yeah, mine's there's LSU. LSU. Okay. I had to put LSU on the list because they're one of the five teams in the era to win a title. But I had to put right. them at the bottom because they're also the one team that's fired 17 coaches. They they go See, four and eight every three years. Like there is there they threw together probably the best team in the college football player era yeah, with Joe Burrow right. and a million other draft picks. But but we're talking about the era and we're talking about the program. So I have to look at everything and losing to Troy at home does not look very good. So See, that was see that I know the national counts for everything. Um but they've only been once they've had some losing seasons in there. Yep. Uh, like you said, multiple coaches, Oklahoma has been there three of the eight years. Um, yes. They've never got cracked through. They, but they have w- way more conference titles. They've been a legit eight, nine, 10, 11 win team every single year. Um, just haven't been able to put yeah. it together. No, that's again, I, there's again, I had those, my honorable mention. There's no, there's no wrong answer to that. In my opinion, Again, I think not having won the title and usually they show up and get the brakes beaten off of them, it's tough. Right, right. But the, the one thing I did want to mention about Georgia was um, I, I, had him, uh, I had him ahead of LSU but behind Ohio State. 
but again, it's just part of the consistency thing. They had a, they, I, I don't think they were very prevalent the first two or three years of the playoff before Kirby no, Smart got okay. there and actually like put his, like put his fingerprints all over that program and kind of almost emulated what Saban's doing there with the athletes, with the going, with the going forward instead of just, and so I, I had George at four, but I don't know. The one thing I did want to say was I, for a split second, I wanted to put Ohio State ahead of Clemson, but I, I couldn't. Uh, I mean, I don't even think there's an argument for that. I mean, maybe Clemson. Clemson's been there all but two years. Yeah, but they it's also play against Wake Forest. Do you understand? But we like to make fun of the Big Ten West being weak. You know how bad right. the ACC Coastal was or whatever? Right, but – even 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 then, they've been to double the national championship games and have doubled the titles. Yeah. No, and so again, I, I I'll talk a little bit more about my reasoning why I thought about doing it. Ultimately, I didn't. But well, the ACC only plays eight conference games, not nine. So that extra crossover game when Ohio State's going to Kinnick Stadium to play Iowa, and when they're going to Purdue, and when they lose those games, knocking themselves out of the playoff in seventeen and eighteen. Mm-hmm. that's kind of tough because Clemson's not playing that. They're playing Citadel and the Armed Forces mm-hmm. Academy of Panera Bread. I don't know. But the other thing I wanted to – and the other thing is, again, we make fun of the Big Ten West sucking. The ACC Coastal put six different uh, people into the title game in six straight years. There isn't a team on the other side. Clemson's playing against Northwestern. In the, there's no Wisconsin on the other side of the ACC to give Clemson a run for their money. So to play devil's advocate for the ACC, there's usually one team a year that is respectful enough to give Clemson a fighting chance, like give Clemson a game at some point in the ACC. I know it's not not no, no like not like really an acceptable answer when Ohio State is to play MSU, Michigan, Penn State every year, but. No, and I know what you mean, and that's one of the things where, like, you do have the cycles that uh, that shifted every two, three years where the ACC teams will rise and fall. But I also think that kind of says to it, no one's ever good enough to sustain their excellence. No coach is ever good enough to put multiple recruiting classes together over a period of time so he actually has the players to compete or so he has the culture to compete. So that, that's just kind of why I, I, I do think the ACC really, really sucks. So so here's another, here's another tidbit then. For the um, ACC argument, the ACC has put two teams in the playoffs. Has the Big Twelve put in anybody besides Oklahoma? I mean, they haven't. But if the, you talk about one year of Florida State being relevant, and then they went to being a four-win team after that, like I, I, I know what you mean. Like if you look at the stat that way, you're right. But Florida State might have twelve wins in the last six years. Okay, but that's like saying like. Like Pac-12, or Oregon's been twice, um, and Washington. Oregon hasn't it. been twice. Were they only there in fifteen? Oregon well? was once, and Washington was once. Okay. My my point was more like that's like that's like the same thing as like, yeah. Why, why don't we knock the Pac-12 because Washington's only been there once? But if Oregon's only been there once, yeah, no, that that's fair. Um, no, and the other thing I did, I, I was looking at this, and I still remember being salty about this game. So watching. I was in Bulgaria. This was uh, like January 1st, 2020, watching that 29-23 Clemson-Ohio State game in the semifinal where they right. had a horrible ejecting call on Sean Wade. And then the, the, the strip six where 
uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think he threw the ball to T. Higgins. Then T. Higgins ran a half marathon and got the ball taken from him, and Ohio State scored. And then they were like, you know what? It's an incomplete pass. I think those are two of some of like the two of the worst calls I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And that that would have turned that game around. But again, that those are just some of the things that I kind of thought about when for a split second considering OSU above Clemson. But I I, I, I can't do that because two titles beats one. Right. All right. So, I, I mean, that's a good chat for what, a, what was a pretty good objective list. Um, so that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week. Uh, I do believe the Avalanche will be ground champions in the meantime. Uh, we'll have the NBA draft going on. Catch us on Twitter. We'll be tweeting about it. Uh, funny stuff, I think. Anyways, uh, anything you want to say to the listeners? No, uh, I was just going to say um... – as always, like, comment, subscribe, watch on Spotify, listen on Spotify, interact, send it to your friends, send it to your dentist. See if we see if we can build some kind of following. And thank you guys for paying attention. You send know, it you, to your barber. Send it to your barber. Send it to everybody who's got a pulse. You know, let's make this thing big and let's do it together. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Find those fairways.